Welcome to the Pigskin Podcast. A weekly podcast about all things football. And only football. Every week, we'll go in-depth about each team and deliver the best hard-hitting topics. Now, here's your host, Andrew Walker. What is up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in this week on the Pigskin Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Walker. I hope everyone had a tremendous week. I know for me, I did. It was a good week for football. Maybe your team won and you're kind of feeling good. You're like, okay, this is one step closer to the playoffs. We have a real shot to make it. Or your team uh, ended up losing, and and now you're part of that, like, hashtag that they got trending, you know, tank for Trevor. And you might be thinking, all right, this, this is a great opportunity for my team to tank and to actually get a generational talent. Now, if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm keeping my eyes close on some teams. As of right now, it's the battle of both New York teams and Atlanta. Do you think Atlanta drafts Trevor if they get their first pick? My answer is yes. If you want to keep your job, you're going to draft him. Like I said, he's a generational talent that could sit behind Matt Ryan for a season or two. Because let's be honest right now, Matt Ryan is not their problem in Atlanta. And I sure as heck don't want to play on any New York team for that matter. But the thing is, does he risk it? Say he's a junior right now. Say he declares early and one of the two, two of the New York teams are there. Does he say, you know what? I don't want to play for them. Kind of like Eli Manning, you know, did for the San Diego Chargers. Or does he go back to his senior season and say, okay, maybe there's a better team that I can I can play for. Because if if I if it's those three teams, I'm picking Atlanta. One, because you don't have to face the pressure right away of taking on a team that is just absolutely terrible. And it gives you the time to learn behind a borderline future Hall of Fame quarterback, Matt Ryan. But we'll get into episode in just a minute. But you know, we're since we're on the topic of Atlanta though, they just announced their firing of Dane Quinn and their general manager, Thomas Dimitrov. We spoke on this a couple episodes ago that it was it was honestly t- Dane Quinn's time to go. And they made this firing almost immediately after losing against the Panthers. We, however, suggested that promoting Dirk Cutter to interim head coach was, was probably the right move. The Falcons have the third worst scoring defense in the NFL. Your scoring offense is tied for 17th. Is there something I'm missing? Because honestly, I'm curious of why they, they promoted Raheem Morris as their in, interim head coach. But it might have something to do with the fact that he, at one point, was a previous assistant head coach with Atlanta before. And we're going to discuss the Titans a little bit later in the podcast. But like I said, watch out for Arthur Smith as he takes a head coaching job. What he's been able to do with Tennessee is it's up there with one of the best in the league. But I still think Eric Brenemy is the guy. But as the Titans continue to improve their offense, Arthur Smith is getting more and more attractive as coaching vacancies open up. On this episode, though, we're going to recap some things in week five. We're going to update our predictions as always. And something that we want to add going forward are, are some sports bets. Going to let you know how we feel about the game. It's going to add a dyna- another dynamic to the podcast, and I think some of you are really going to enjoy it. Week five completed again after the Titans and Bills game face off on Tuesday night, and I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoyed the Tuesday night game. 
This was the first time since 2010 that we had a Tuesday night game. And in 2010, it was the Eagles who hosted the Vikings in week 16. And due to a blizzard in Philly, they had to reschedule it two days later. The weather, however, didn't didn't matter for Minnesota because they ended up winning the game 24 to 14. But before that time frame, the most recent Tuesday game was in 1946 when the Boston Yanks beat the New York Giants 17-0. The game was originally scheduled for a Monday night, but because of you know heavy rain, they, it created field issues. And I love this saying that history repeats itself and that it applies so well to the Giants because, because even after 74 years later, they're still a terrible team. We had another game that went to overtime this past week in week five, the Chargers and the Saints. And we had this game as our upset game of the week. You know, we initially had the Vikings beating the Seahawks, but we, you know, if you listen to last week's podcast episode, we said that we can't be, we can't bet against Russell Wilson right now. And guess what? You still can't. Mike Zimmer decides to go for it on fourth and inches. And you may already question the decision because you're, you're already winning 26 to 21. If you kick the field goal there, you're up by eight, making it even more difficult for the Seahawks. Let's break it down here, though. The play took place at the two-minute warning, correct? It's on the Seattle six-yard line. Seattle only had one timeout left. If the Seahawks get the ball after Minnesota fails to convert, Russell Wilson has a minute 57 left to take the ball 94 yards. Statistically, the Vikings should have gone for it. For me, though, if I'm the head coach, I'm taking the eight-point lead there. But you have to ask, do you wonder if, if it's because Mike Zimmer wanted to just end the game right there? If they convert it, the game is over, and we're not even talking about this. Instead, we are now questioning the coaching decision and the fact that Russell Wilson had another game-winning drive. The Seahawks ended winning that matchup 27-26. to Seattle tried to go for the two-point conversion and ended up failing because they wanted to be up by three just in case Minnesota had the ability to kick a field goal to tie it. Sunday night's win, though, made it 30 game-winning drives for Russell Wilson. That ties for 18th in NFL history. The current leader right now, Peyton Manning, won the greatest of all time with 54. I'm not sure if Russell Wilson is going to get the opportunity to pass him, but he's going to be able to close the gap especially with how bad Seattle's defense continues to be. And with the Vikings now being 1-4, do we start talking about axing Mike Zimmer? He's 58-42-1, which equates to a .579 winning percentage. And with the current NFL head coaches, that winning percentage puts him in 14th. That, of course, is, is active head coaches, but those stats are also inflated due to the fact that some coaches are in their first or second year and Mike Zimmer is in his seventh. But let's get back to what what started this conversation. The Chargers and the Saints game, that was almost the upset that we picked. Well, I mean, we, we picked it and it almost came to fruition. But just like any other game, it came down to a missed field goal, which caused it to go to overtime. Now, this topic right here, I, I want to discuss a little bit as far as the overtime rules on the NFL. I'll be frank about it. I hate the NFL overtime rules. I've never been a fan of them. It's 10 minutes for teams to try and win the game. I understand playoffs are different due to it going to quarters if for some reason they can't finish the game within the first quarter of overtime. But in the regular season, it ends a tie, just like the Bengals and Eagles game. 
Here are my thoughts, though, and suggestions, because I don't want to complain about it without giving you my opinions of what should take place. I want to first by saying that college, I think, has a lot of things that they do well when it comes to overtime. I, I, however, don't like how stats are included when it comes to overtime, you know, being lumped in with, with uh, you know, regular game stats. I really like that both teams get a possession no matter what. The NFL has it wrong by if the first team gets a touchdown, then the game is over. But if that first team gets a field goal and the other team takes the lead, they automatically win. My plan consists of this. Each team possesses the ball at the 50-yard line. The reason why I like that distance is because it's too far for a team to kick a field goal, like in college when they start at the 25-yard line. If they don't gain a yard, it's nearly impossible to kick a 65-yard field goal. Plus, if they miss, then the team is already in field goal range on their own side of the field. That's why I think in some college games that teams play a little passively. They cannot gain a single yard, and they get three points. But let's say that the the NFL team that starts at the 50-yard line, they end up getting a touchdown. Then the opposing team starts at the 50-yard line as well. If after the first round it's tied, then teams start have to they have to start going for two-point conversions going forward. And also, get rid of ties. I want the NFL to play until there is a winner. The reason being is because it keeps teams from trying to throw it. And what I mean by that is if a tie is much better than a loss. If both teams know that they're near the end of the, the overtime quarter, they won't try to, you know, win, so to speak. Just kind of like we talked about with the Eagles in, in the, the Bengals game. The Eagles have proven that in the NFC East that their tie is bowing well for them. The Eagles right now are second in the division. If they lose that game, it knocks them down to third place. With all that being said, the Chargers should have won that game. We shouldn't even be talking about this. Bagley missed his only field goal try of the game, and he hit the upright. Herbert's performance was washed. He threw for four touchdowns, had a 122.7 passer rating, no turnovers. The other thing that was washed by this loss was Mike Williams' brilliant catches to set up for a field goal try. I could not believe the first catch that he made, but also the second catch. Oh, my gosh. He had a get moss and a toe drag swag on the same drive. Shout out to Randy Moss and Nate Burleson with those two segments. Herbert in this game showed why he's still rookie of the year front runner right now. Since being the starter, they've had to play teams like the Chiefs, the Panthers, the Bucks, and the Saints. All four of those teams have winning records. Since Herbert took the starting job, the Chargers are averaging 23.5 points per game. And for this season, they're averaging 22 points per game. The Bengals are at 20.4, and that's just another point to end the Joe Burrow for rookie of the year debate. If you're interested in why we think Justin Herbert is that candidate right now, listen to last week's podcast where we go more in depth with that. As we continue to talk, you know, being on the Chargers, Le'Veon Bell was released from the Jets after no teams wanted any part in trading for him. I think that the Chargers should pick him up. Last week, the Chargers said that Austin Eckler could miss 46 weeks with his hamstring injury. They don't have Melvin Gordon anymore. He's in Denver. So why not sign him? You could probably get him for a bargain deal too, considering he's already you know robbed the Jets. He made twenty eight million in just eighteen games with them, and it was a straight disaster in New York from the beginning. But I did read a report this morning that Jeremy Fowler of ESPN said that three teams interested right now are the Dolphins, Chiefs, and Bills. 
They are just a player away on offense from arguably being the best team in the AFC offensively. And the Dolphins need more than just Bell to make a big difference. But who knows, you know, if Fitzpatrick continues to play like he did in San Francisco, maybe they can compete for a wild card spot. For me, the Bills seem to be the bigger need for him more than Kansas City because Kansas City has Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's doing just fine. I, however, do think that Le'Veon Bell wants to go to a team where he can compete. He had that competition in Pittsburgh. That, that whole debacle at the end, kind of, I think it really ruined his reputation. He should want to go to a team that is in competition right now for a Super Bowl run. In the beginning, we did talk a little bit about the Titans and the Bills game. And honestly, what a freaking day for the state of Tennessee. I do want to spread some love for the Titans, though. They, they had a crazy past couple weeks, and they have received a great ton of hate all over the league. Now, some of it has been deserved, but regardless of what you believe, if they screwed up or not, that's honestly not my point. I now understand why fans were screaming from the rooftops of wanting the Titans to forfeit this game because the Bills got a shellacking. The Titans practice basically one day. Ryan Tannehill talked about that on Saturday and on Monday were kind of walkthroughs, and Sunday was really their only full-speed practice. And the Bills were one of the best teams in the, in the National Football League coming into this game. If I say to you that the score is 42-16, to 16, you'd probably pick the team who practiced and came in hot. But nope, it was the bend and don't break mentality of the Tennessee Titans. We have continued to praise Josh Allen on this. We hype him up pretty much every week, and we said last episode that he is one of the four quarterbacks you'd want to play on your team right now to lead, a, lead to victory. But maybe, just maybe, it should be Ryan Tannehill. Allen was 26 for 41, which is a 63% completion rate. He had two touchdowns and two interceptions. He had a 69 QBR and a 77 passer rating. And he didn't play like an MVP-like quarterback at all. It's one game, they're still 4-1, and one, and they lost to a really good Titans team. But let's pump the brakes for a little bit. I texted my brother about this game, and I said, okay, here are the things that Tennessee needs to do in order to win against the Bills. Number one, I said limit the big pass plays. Josh Allen ranked third in the league with big pass plays entering this game. And their longest play was a 34-yard rushing play by Yeldon when Josh Allen was even in the game. It was during garbage time. And if we want to talk about passing plays, before that it was just 16 yards to Stephon Diggs. So number one, the Titans did limit the big plays. Number two, I really thought they had a double cover Stephon Diggs. They did a really good job of making sure that they were keeping plays in front of them. Now, Stephon Diggs, he had 106 yards on 10 receptions, but he had no touchdowns. Number three, Derrick Henry had to have at least 25 touches in this game. Now, he only had 19 for just 57 yards, but he had two touchdowns, and the Titans still ran for 139 yards. And entering this matchup, the Bills' defense gave up 101 yards per game, so they did a little better than what the, the Bills normally give up. Number four being Ryan Tannehill needed to complete at least 75% of his passes. He finished the game 21 of 28, which is exactly that 75%. And lastly, was they needed to win the turnover battle. Tennessee was a plus five entering and Buffalo was just plus one. The Titans forced three turnovers and they extended their NFL lead to a plus eight in the turnover differential. 
Ryan Tannehill has been on an absolute tear since taking over this starting job for Marcus Mariota. CBS posted this stat line on their Twitter, and in the last 14 games from Tannehill and Mahomes, these are the numbers from the two of them. Their records are even at 11-3. Passing yards, 36-02 from Ryan Tannehill. For Patrick Mahomes, 36-74. Touchdown to interception. Ryan Tannehill, 31 touchdowns, 6 picks. Patrick Mahomes, 28 touchdowns, 6 picks. Passer rating, 116.7 for Ryan Tannehill and 102.3 for Patrick Mahomes. Now, people are going to say, well, it's it's Ryan Tannehill that has Derrick Henry, but even that would make more sense to why the case for Ryan Tannehill being a on absolute tear would, would be justifiable. He has a top three running back in the league, and he is still producing MVP-like numbers. The argument for Holmes, though, is he has the fastest wide receiver in the NFL, who is arguably a top 10 wide receiver, and he has a tight end that is top three in the league. But I would also make the case that the Titans have A.J. Brown and Jonu Smith that they are almost, if not as good as Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. I understand that this is a small sample size, and I've seen people get offended that Ryan Tannehill is being compared to Patrick Mahomes. People have to understand that Patrick Mahomes right now is the baseline standard when comparing quarterbacks. Just like at some point it was Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers, if you still think Ryan Tannehill's numbers are not as impressive, let's look at what he's compared to to last season's MVP, Lamar Jackson. In the last 17 starts, Ryan Tannehill's 13 and 4, Lamar Jackson 15 and 2. Touchdown ratio, Ryan Tannehill 36 to 7, Lamar 36 to 8. Passing yards per game, Ryan Tannehill's 233, Lamar 195. Completion percentage, 68% to Lamar Jackson's 64%. Passer rating, Ryan Tannehill 114 to Lamar's 104. And, and then you might say that, well, Lamar Jackson is kind of, he runs the ball more. He should have a lot more rushing touchdowns. Well, let me tell you something. Lamar Jackson only has one more rushing touchdown in that span than Ryan Tannehill. Bookie Brooks of NFL Network said it best that Ryan Tannehill is a perfect example of why coaching matters. He looks like a completely different quarterback with the Titans. Sometimes we need to evaluate the play callers and the quarterback developers before we call young QBs bust or flameouts. It might be the coaching that is holding them back. We have expressed many times on this podcast how toxic Adam Gase is as a coach. Ryan Tannehill was under him in Miami, and Sam Darnold is under him in New York. Sam Darnold went from looking like a franchise quarterback in college to looking like a bust now. And some people said the same thing with Tannehill in Miami that they wasted a high draft pick for, for a quarterback that was once a wide receiver. But Tannehill has proven that he belongs and he needs to be considered as a top quarterback rather than just a person who hands off the ball to Derrick Henry. This past Tuesday, they scored on all six red zone drives. They won by 26 against a Sean McDermott-led Bills defense. And they didn't even necessarily need Derrick Henry in this game. Start putting the respect on Ryan Tannehill's name and understand how good he has been since he came to Tennessee. Before we get in our Hogs of the Week segment and in our game predictions, I just want to talk about Dak Prescott for a moment. First and foremost, the injury that he had in that game against the Giants was was unfortunate. And when I was watching the game and seeing that play live, I was like, this guy's season is done. And you never want to see a player or any person get hurt. This is why Dak fought tooth and nail to get his contract. 
Jerry Jones ended up not breaking and he tagged him and took a risk that honestly benefits him more than anything. I don't enjoy saying that and I hate that Dak is hurt. But like I said, we have to look at the business side of some things and it bows well for Jerry Jones. Dak was playing at, his, at an extremely high level of football. He was having an MVP-like season. He was on his way to get his payday. But with his injury, that's all in jeopardy now. And Dak may never play in Dallas again. I say that because Dallas has two wins right now. They are leading their division. But if Andy Dalton comes in and if they lose the season and have the ability to draft Trevor Lawrence or an almost identical QB in Trey Lance, who decided he wanted to declare uh, for the NFL draft and skip this season with North Dakota State. I was genuinely rooting for Dak this season, and he gets a lot of hate because he plays for Jerry World. Don't be surprised, though, if this season does not bode well for the Dallas Cowboys and if they have a high draft pick, that the possibility of Dak Prescott not playing in Dallas ever again is a high probability. On the latter thing of things, again, we're, we want to talk about our hogs of the week in, in week six. But last week in week five, we were pretty much on point. You know, Justin Herbert and Robbie Anderson had great weeks. We spoke about Herbert's stats against the Saints, but Anderson had 112 yards on eight receptions. He's having a tremendous year right now. But here's our week six nominees as follow. The first one being David Montgomery, running back for the Chicago Bears. The Carolina Panthers give up 133 yards on the ground per game. And Montgomery has just one touchdown and averages 3.9 yards per carry. I look for him to have a big game against the Panthers. Number two, have to go with Wolf Fuller, the wide receiver, the Houston Texans. Now, the Texans wide receivers always make the Titans secondary look bad. DeAndre Hopkins did it for his entire career with Houston. And the Titans are the 10th worst in passing yards per game. And Wolf Fuller right now is being outshined by Brandon Cooks. I think Will Fuller is going to show up in this game and he's going to expose the fact that the Titans are dead last on third down defense. Number three, Deshaun Elliott, the safety for the Baltimore Ravens. Now the Ravens play Philly this week. The Eagles allow 3.8 sacks per game, which is third worst in the league. And they are tied with the Cowboys for the most turnovers in the NFL given up. Ravens defense has the fifth most sacks in the league, but not one person on the team has more than two sacks and Deshaun Elliott is one of those uh, players. I like his ability to get after the quarterback as a safety and also his ability to play in the secondary, which can create some problems for Carson Wentz. The season total this year for game predictions is 47-29-1. Last week, the Lions and the Packers were on by. Broncos and the, and the Patriots game were on by as well because their game was rescheduled. Week six buys go to the Raiders, Saints, Chargers, and Seahawks. And this week, there is no Thursday night football because it was originally the Chiefs at the Bills, which is now a Monday night football game, which starts at 5 o'clock. First game, the Texans at the Titans. Paul Kaharski, who covers the Tennessee Titans, uh, asked Ryan Tano how it feels scoring 106 points in their last three weeks and if they can be confident going forward and keeping that pace up. Well, I think we're headed in the right direction. We're doing some good things. Uh, we're better in the red zone today, which I'm proud of. Um, you know, going back to Minnesota, we, we didn't fight through the fringe and, and put the ball in the end zone there a few times when we had opportunities. So uh, proud of our guys and the way we, we tighten things up down there. Um, just have to keep, keep pushing, keep heading in the right direction. There's a lot of things that we can clean up from this film um, on a short week. We have to do it quickly. So um, enjoy the moment where we're heading in the right direction, but I've got to keep the foot on the gas and, and keep, you know, getting better as the season goes on. 
Now, the Titans, they've scored the most points in their first four weeks in franchise history, and that includes the Houston Oilers. They've scored 122 points in their first four games. The Titans are on a high after beating the Buffalo Bills. Texans are coming off their first win as well. Both defenses right now are not playing it well at all. Even though the Titans played well against the Bills, there's still some concerns in the secondary, especially their cornerbacks. I like the Titans riding the momentum, though. Now, in the beginning, I discussed about sports betting, and, and I'm someone who only bets the over and under. Now, I'm, I want to caution you. I'm not a professional. I'm not giving you advice. I am simply giving my opinions, and nor am I telling you what to do. So don't don't put anything on me if you decide to go with any of these bets and you lose money. That's that's on you, not me. Now, with that being said, like I said, only do the over and under predictions. Last week, I predicted 12 out of the 14 games on the over and under. The over under this week is set at 53. I'm going with the over. Titans win by six. Second matchup. Cincinnati Bengals at the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts' defense did not play well against the Browns last week. It was by far their worst game defensively this season. The Bengals are coming off a game where they scored a lousy three points against the Ravens, and the Colts' defense is just as good as Baltimore's. Over-under is set at 46.5. I rarely go the under because this is the NFL and teams score all the time. And you're going to see some games in here. You're going to see a, you know, a good amount of unders, which is, is never the case for me. But I can't see both of them combining for 47 points. So I'm going with the under. Colts win by three. Last week, we discussed that the Texans firing Bill O'Brien was going to be the reason why the Texans win the game. They end up winning it. I said that teams play differently when their head coach is fired. And that's what the Texans did. And the same principle goes to the Falcons. Minnesota isn't good defensively. Atlanta can score points. Being winless and losing your GM and your head coach is tough, and they're going to approach this game differently as Atlanta and Minnesota play this week. The over-under is set at 54.5. This is an extremely easy pick, though. There will be no defense in this game. Going the over, Falcons win by seven. The Broncos and the Patriots game, this game was meant to play for week five, but instead both teams end up taking the bye like we talked about. The Patriots have not confirmed yet if Cam Newton will be able to play in this game due to being on the COVID list. I still like the Patriots over the Broncos. The Broncos are anemic on all areas. Over-under is set at 45. I'm going with the over, Pats by four. Washington football team heads up to New York to play the New York Giants. You have a 1-4 team against an 0-5 team, so this is going to be a fun one to watch. Hope you can understand the sarcasm there. The Giants almost upset the Cowboys, and Washington was absolutely embarrassed by Aaron Donald and company with the Rams. The over-under is set at 44.5, and and I'm going to go with the under because I think these two teams are so bad that they probably won't score much. Giants by one. Ravens are heading to Philly to play the Eagles. Ravens are just simply a better team than Philadelphia. They have a better running game, better quarterback, better defense, better all of it. Now, with the Ravens, I tend to always pick the over because of how many points they can score. But last week... They held the Bengals to just three points. The over and under is at 47 and a half. So let's assume that they score their their season average of 29.8. Can I trust the Eagles are going to score more than 18 points against the Ravens defense? I'm going with the under, Ravens by 13. And we get a really good rivalry game this week, Browns at the Steelers. 
The Browns and the Steelers look really good this year. The Steelers are undefeated and haven't really faced any opposition. The Browns are coming off a really good game against the Colts. The Steelers are favored in this game, and honestly, I don't see it. Over-under is set at 50 and a half. I'm taking the over by a mile. Browns are going to win by six. Now, we have a battle of the Bears, and if you get that joke by Robert Anderson, who they thought he, their mascot was a bear and not a panther, we have the Chicago Bears going to Charlotte to play the Panthers, and I want to ride this Panthers wave. They're clicking. Matt Roll is changing the culture there. They're playing surprisingly better without McCaffrey. The over-under is set at 44.5, and I'm picking the over because the Panthers have been able to score, and the Panthers win by four. Lions are at Jaguars. Lions are coming off their bye week, and I think, and I also think that this is a must-win for Matt Patricia. If you lose to a 1-4 team coming off your bye, what does that say about your coaching? Over and under is set at 54.5. I'm picking the over. Neither team can play defense. The Lions are allowing 31.8 points per game. Jaguars is 29.4. Lions by three. The way that Miami played last week against San Francisco, I'm still eating my words on that one. Goodness gracious, they looked really good. The Jets looked so bad that Miami could put their B squad in and probably still win the game. Jets are heading down to Miami. Over and under is set at 47. I'm, I'm picking the over because I think Fitzpatrick can put up some big points. Miami by 10. This game, we got the Battle of the Goats. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers get the honor and pleasure to play Aaron Rodgers coming off a bye. Bucks are coming off a bad loss against the Bears. Aaron Rodgers looks better than ever. Buccaneer wide receivers cannot stay healthy. Over and under is set at 54 and a half. I'm choosing the over. Packers win by seven. The Los Angeles Rams defense last week was unstoppable against Washington. Because Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in the league, I like the Rams by 10. Over under is set at 50 and a half. I'm picking the over because these are two high scoring teams and the 49ers have a bad taste after the Miami game. We have two Monday night football matchups. This one is the Chiefs at the Bills. Like I said, the game begins at 5, Eastern and Standard Time. Both teams are coming off to disappointing losses. The Bills were straight up spanked. The Chiefs did not expect for Derek Carr to put up 40 points and outduel Patrick Mahomes. And I think because the Bills got more of an embarrassment that they are more upset. With the over and under being at 57.5, you have Mahomes versus Allen, so I'm going with the over. And I think the Bills are going to win this game by three. Last matchup for week six, Cardinals at Cowboys. I think that if Dak plays this game, it's a no-brainer. But because Andy Dalton is starting, I have zero trust in his ability. And we didn't get enough sample size when they played against the Giants last week. I want to see more from him before I start picking them to win games. And on the other side, who on Dallas can stop DeAndre Hopkins? Over and under is at 54.5. I'm going with the under because I don't think Dallas is going to score their season average of 32.6 points. Cardinals by six. But that's it for this week. We appreciate all the love and support. The podcast continues to grow. We enjoy seeing that. Reminder, there's no Thursday Night Football tonight. There are, however, three college football games to watch. I'm going to tune into the BYU slash Houston game. Have a wonderful weekend. See you next Thursday. Much love. Thanks for listening this week on the Pigskin Podcast. Subscribe to the pod on iTunes and Spotify so you'll never miss a show. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Podcast Pigskin. If you want to stay engaged throughout the week, give us a follow. We want to hear from our listeners. Give us a breakdown. 
Signing off.